Thanks for tuning in to Too Much Screen Time, a podcast for TV buffs and cinephiles who have no problem spending too much time on their screens. If you're looking for some in-depth conversation about the latest TV and movies, you've come to the right place. I'm joined by my co-hosts Alex, Shante, and Dave. I'm Anselm. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to Too Much Screen Time. Um, today we are one person short, so Shante, who uh, you have heard uh, give amazing hot takes on uh, a number of our podcasts, actually cannot be here with us today. So it's just going to be the guys, and uh, we're going to be continuing along in our series uh, about the Oscars, right? Talking about the Oscar nominated or the best picture nominees from the Oscars, right? This episode today, we are talking about this movie um, after the Oscars have come out. And so you might be asking, like, why talk about the Oscars movies when the Oscars have already taken place? Well, let me turn that around and ask you a question. And how often do you watch all eight to 10 best picture nominees before the Oscars? That's right. You don't. So, no, okay. But no. Uh, most so people most... never even heard of half of them. So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> especially, and especially this year where like uh you know some of the uh, best picture nominees were available on streaming platforms many of them weren't many of them you had to like actually go to the theaters to see before they and then they were available but for like you know the premium access price of like twenty dollars to rent it uh and so you might not have seen these movies uh by the time you're listening to this podcast so we figured you know for your sake we would watch these movies and review them and then tell you you know our opinions about them in case after now that you know the results you want to go back and and watch some of these different movies so uh this is our this is the first episode that we're recording uh post oscars and today we're going to be talking about the movie minari so this movie you know most americans pronounce it minari i've heard you know if you watch the movie you'll, the characters will say minari uh or minari uh, we're gonna just we're gonna do our best. We're gonna pronounce it, you know, in in what feels, or, or we're trying to pronounce it um, the way that it's meant to. I don't know about you guys, but I'll say like w- when I start pronouncing something in one way, and then like I hear a more correct pronunciation, especially if it's like from a different culture, a different language, I feel awkward trying to pronounce it the the correct way right and, and for me it's, it's again it's like I have no problem with doing that I think for me it's see it feels performative in a sense right like I'm trying to I don't know like be what's the word I'm looking for I'm, I'm like trying to too hard you know do, do, do you guys can you guys relate with that right I think it's important to you know it doesn't take very long to look it up and practice it and to hear and get the correct pronunciation, whether we're talking about the, the name of the, the title of the film or whether we're talking about some of the Asian, Asian American actors who we're gonna be talking about and today. So I think we should make that effort to um, get the as, most, as close to the correct pronunciation as we can. I think that anything short of at least trying and doing your research and listening is is lazy um and it is uh <laughs> that is like an american thing to do to not do that <laughs> right but we, but we I, yeah i think it's important to do better yeah i couldn't agree more i mean i think it's it's honestly just respectful right it's like right. we are we're trying to be respectful to these actors we're trying to be respectful to the writers and everybody involved in the movie and um we want to make the effort to do that um however 
I think for me, because I haven't been able to uh, really take the time to practice the names and, and practice the pronunciations, I think for the sake of what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to refer to the, uh, the actor's character names because um, it just is easier for me to do that right now. Um, but I promise our listeners that I will take the time to, to learn how to pronounce their names correctly in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, guys. Thanks for making me sound like a jerk. No, okay, no, no. But yeah, so we're going to be talking about the movie Minari. And the, uh, according to IMDb, the plot synopsis is simply a Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. Um, there's a lot more that goes on in there. and We're definitely going to unpack a lot of it. But uh, the film received a lot of Oscar buzz. Uh, it's been, it was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director for uh, Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, and Best Original Screenplay. He was the writer and the director. It got Best Actor uh, nominee for Steven Yeun, who plays the father, Jacob Yi. And it got Best Supporting Actress for Ye Jung Yoon, who plays the grandmother uh, in the movie. And I think her name is Soonja or something, something along those lines. And then Best Original Score for Emil Masseri, which was a great score, by the way. Uh, it's sad that it had to go up against Seoul, but Seoul was definitely going to win that year. Uh, and and um, from those six nominations, the only nomination that it received was Best Supporting Actress for Ye Jung Yoon. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But this movie, this movie was a uh, you know an Oscar darling this year and was highly acclaimed. And we're going to unpack some of that here in our conversation. So the first thing I wanted to ask is just your initial reactions. What are your initial reactions to the movie? Um, this movie's perfect in every way. <laughs> I think that's my initial reaction. Uh, you know, it's it's so tough because all I feel like almost all of the Best Picture nomination films that we've seen um, are just near perfect films, if not perfect films. And so this one had uh, such it, it it was just in such a hard competition for all of these awards. Um, and, you know, out of all the Best Picture uh, nominees that I've seen, this is my second favorite, uh, just south of um, Sound of Metal. So, you know, when I saw this, uh, I had really low expectations. I, I knew it was an A24 film, which, you know, is is my favorite distribution company. I, I, they just hammer out hits year after year after year. So I, I knew that this one was going to be a gem, but I, I still kind of went in with low expectations. I knew about the Oscar buzz. I knew about all the award buzz that it was getting. Um, but I didn't really know too much about the story and man, was I just so, so blown away by this, by the story in all aspects, you know, incredible performances, uh, riveting performances, actually, uh, captivating story. It just immersed you into this family and you see their struggle. You feel their struggle. It has a lot of lighthearted moments. It has a lot of sad moments. Um, it takes you on this beautiful ride, um, and, and uh, I was just left so satisfied at the end. I just absolutely could not recommend this movie more. If you're on the fence at all about seeing this film, um, please get off the fence right now and go see this. This deserves your full attention. This deserves every single person watching this movie. You know, I feel like the common thread in all of the best picture nomination movies it, this year has, because I feel like every year, every Oscar year, there is kind of like a common thread in many of the, these films. And so I feel like the common thread this year has been like the American story or like an American story. And, you know, you know, thinking about the trial of Chicago seven, Nomadland. Uh, and then with this one, you know, I just feel like 
it's it's just such a remarkable tale about a an American family, uh, a family that is that was not born here in America, but is is struggling to find their way and and find their footing in this American society in you know the the 1980s. Um, and it is uh, remarkable. So, and, and I think it's, I'm so glad that it came out uh, when it did and it deserved all of its praise. Yeah, that's, those are great initial thoughts. And of course, you know, any, any shout out to A24, I'm on board. They put out my two favorite films of 2019. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Waves and Midsommar. If, you're, mm. if you've been listening for a while, you know that I have high praise for both of those films. So A24 can do no wrong for me. Um, more like A20 more, if you can get what I'm saying. But uh, no, um, you know, it's funny that you pointed out that thread there, Alex, that like the an American story. The only thing is like, I don't know where the father takes place. <laughs> but I know it stars two British actors. I don't know if they're putting on American accents, but uh, you know. <laughs> I know that's the one that I haven't seen yet. So maybe that common thread will kind of be thrown out. Or right, maybe that's right. just one that like doesn't belong in the Best Picture nominations. <laughs> maybe we, right. like in our mind, we could throw out the father and put into Five Bloods. But, exactly, but, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I mean, I haven't seen it yet either, but I'm just like, really? <laughs> But it, but also like it seems like a lot too. There's like community and family and um, friendships. You see a lot of that. Those threads also pretty much in, in, ingrained in every one of these best picture nominees. So and also we're not going to discount the father. The father. Um, also, no one has said anything negative about the father. So yeah, um, it deserves to be there. Right. Right. Dave, what what are your initial thoughts about uh, Minari? Yeah, I think that it was. Uh, I think it was just a fantastic movie. I agree with everything that you all have said so far. I think it's just a very authentic and true uh, film. I think there is, I, I mean, first I was in the very invested um, in this family and in this, in this specific story. I think what makes this film so great is that everyone can take something from this film. You know, whether what we just said, whether it talks about family or what it means to be human or um, pursuit of happiness and just life in general, there is something available for people to connect to. And yeah, the, the performances were just, you know, top notch, just perfect performances. I also appreciated that the characters are being, they're, they're portrayed in a way that doesn't seem like caricatures or uh, stereotypes of themselves. And I, I grew up watching um, you know, a lot of Asian films that I was exposed to and growing up, there were there were very um, I don't know, they were very stereotypical. There were a lot of like kung fu movies um, that I watched, but you know, with this film, and we see other films um, that are getting the green light and being made, and get, we're getting more exposed to. We are getting such a vast and expansive perspective of the Asian experience. So I really appreciated that too. Uh, with this film, like Alex said, it is a an American story. Um, and it's in this in this way, we're getting the perspective of an Asian American family as they're um, pursuing the American dream. So I really appreciated that, too. Yeah, Dave, I actually saw this film in the theaters uh, this past weekend. And for me here, rather than putting rather than putting like words into someone else's mouth, I feel like this is a film that a lot of people can relate. I could relate to this movie because this this story is not a, a Korean American story. In my opinion, this story, as I was watching it, was not a, you know, the, the story of 
the Asian American experience in the rural South. It was just a story about a family. It was about a family that that goes through a major life change of you know the, the, of moving from one state and one like uh, I guess locale to a completely other like going from the city to the country, going from a from you know a, a West Coast liberal leaning you know if you will like left leaning state to uh, middle America like right leaning uh rural uh state right like and if that characterizes your life of a major move or a major economic like um transition for your life either as an adult or as a kid you can relate to this movie and and i and i say that because that that's really cool but but for me i think that's why this film kind of felt a little flat for me um there is no denying that this is a beautiful, beautiful film. It's beautifully shot. I love the score. The score almost moved me to tears at times. Just beautifully shot, beautiful performances. This this was like, if you had a, a scorecard for a great movie, it hits every single one. And yet I felt myself kind of feeling a little bit flat after I left. Like feeling a little bit like I didn't have the rapturous experience that it, people have been hearing and I think for me the reason why is and, and we're gonna get into this a little bit later with our one deep question but um you know I, I think the reason why is that I came into this with expectations about what this could film could potentially say about not just about the Asian American experience in rural America but just the experience of like outsiders and not outsiders by by choice like people who have been pushed to the outsides by a dominant like a predominantly white society like you know i was i think i was expecting to see some more of that i think i was even expecting to, to see more of like the korean experience but even for me like aside from a few things that the grandma does here and there i don't feel like i even got much deep that that deep of uh, of a look into Korean culture itself that was like from my perspective and so for me just it felt like a story I've seen hundreds of times a family drama like some people trying to work a land and and and, and succeed in like capitalist America that struggle throughout the, the that entirety that's a story I've seen a thousand times with white people you know acting that out a few times here and there with black folks. And now this time, like for the first time seeing it with an Asian American family, I think for me that, that was that was cool. But I felt like I was looking for this to say so much more than it actually did. And so that's why for me, like it's fine. It's 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 a great movie. We're gonna we're definitely gonna get into this, you know, uh more throughout the course of this pod of this episode. But that that's essentially my my initial thoughts to the film. Uh, no, I mean, I, I appreciate your opinion on that, Anselm. I think um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to talking more about this, as, especially as we get to the deep question and get to spoiler territory. But um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate your opinion. And uh, I think I, I definitely agree with you. I think that this is a story that uh, I think almost everybody could connect with because I think it does have elements of struggle for the American dream, quote unquote, where you can really relate to different things. Like, you know, I myself am not 
uh, an immigrant. I was born in, the, in America. I was born in the United States. My parents were born in the United States. So my struggle is, is a little bit different, but I definitely found a lot of similar elements, um, especially with the ch children trying to fit in and, and, and trying to be, uh, be normal, quote unquote, you know, th that I definitely connected with a lot. But um, anyway, I know that we'll get into this more, but uh, I definitely appreciate your opinion on that. Yeah. Let me ask you, Alex. So you, Alex, your family is Puerto Rican, right? Yes. Yep. My family is, uh, is fully Puerto Rican. My, my parents or my grandparents rather, uh, came over from Puerto Rico and immigrated to New York. Okay. And so that's where they had, uh, my parents and, uh, my parents' siblings as well. Gotcha. Now, let me ask you, like, as growing up in, a, as like fully in America, did you have any weird feelings towards your grandmother? Yes, 100%. And so that's funny. why that's why I connect with this little boy so much is, uh, yeah, I mean, we and, you know, this, this little boy has a step up because he could actually speak the language, um, like he could actually speak Korean. I, uh, on the other hand, cannot speak Spanish. So my communication with my grandmother was very limited. And I think that even caused a little bit even more resentment in my early childhood um, towards my grandmother as I'm trying to fit in as like a quote unquote, like American boy with this grandmother who is just so, you know, outside of her element, you know? So I, I definitely, yes, <laughs> I related to the children. 100%. It's so, it's so funny, man. Cause like saying like my, my, it's funny, my grandmother emigrated here with my mom, uh, who I think she was like 10 or 11. My mom was, uh, they, they, uh, immigrated to, uh, America from Cuba, uh, back in like the, late 60s and but even then like you know my mom came here definitely assimilated but speaks speaks spanish my grandmother learned english enough you know but like i just remember like whenever i would visit my grandmother my grandmother lived with us for like about a year or so and i just had such a weird like i just felt so weird around her I had a weird relationship to her like i didn't necessarily like her all the time I didn't think that she liked me. She would like snap at me sometimes. I just didn't get that that was just the way that people like, that was a loving way to talk. And my sensitive self was like, mommy, uh, grandma snapped at me. Like, you know, like it was, it was just like, I, so when I saw the, the child, you know, played by Alan Kim, uh, I think his name is David in the film. And he's, you know, he's definitely probably one of the things you'll hear about the most. He's a, he's a very, very cute kid and a phenomenal actor for, for however old he is, you know, or, or old he was. I think he was filming this when like between first and second grade. Yeah. So he's, he's, oh my, my goodness, he's good. He's going places, but like, it's so funny. Like he has, he definitely has like a conflict with his grandmother. Whenever his grandmother arrives, he's like, you're weird and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure we'll dissect, dissect that more later, but like it was, uh, I just that that was very relatable and 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 funny to me as well. Um, cool. So um, those are our initial thoughts about the film. So we're gonna so we're, we're you know we're a new podcast. We're trying new things. So what we're gonna do, you know, we'll start each episode with uh, initial thoughts, and then we're gonna kind of go through a few categories to break down our uh, review. So the next section here, you know, was gonna rely upon the expertise of our of our, uh, you know, tradesmen, our Hollywood tradesmen, uh, Dave, who does a lot of great research, finds a lot of really cool facts. And so this segment we like to call Fun Facts with Dave. <laughs> so Dave, what fun facts did you find about uh, Minadia that you would like to share? 
Yeah, there there are a lot of fun facts, and it's just fun to like go into a deep dive, listen to interviews, hear what the filmmaking process was like, um, if there were any issues or if any drama, or just some really like cool little tidbits that happened along along the way to get to the screen. And so today, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about just what the uh, production looked like. Um, it was a very unusual, unorthodox, um, faith-filled shoot, if you will. So. Essentially, it was shot in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was shot only over 25 days on a very measly low budget of about $2 million. Now, if you know anything about film budgets, you know, they have to pay a lot of people and they have to be able to, um, the production, there's a lot of money that goes into production of a film. So $2 million is, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, prayer probably that happens on two, $2 million, yeah. a lot of faith. And um, just a couple more things along the production. So like they had a, a child, you know, David, who's played by Alan Kim. They would only get Alan Kim <laughs> for six hours a day on set. <laughs> so they pretty much had to, you know, it, so they had to be on it. It was intense hours, there were short hours. There was no room for error ever. So 25 days, six hours or less to shoot. And then they also lived in an Airbnb uh, together. They cast, wow. there was, their cast lived in an Airbnb. They would do laundry together, eat together. Um, it, a few of the cast uh, members, um, including the mother and the grandmother, um, lived in an Airbnb. <laughs> and the funny thing is, so the first day of shooting, you know, they had little time for pre-production, according to uh, Vulture, I think, got the scoop on this. And this, so it meant everything had to happen um, pretty quickly. But on the first day, they're filming nine scenes because they have to get all this stuff done in a short period of time. And so on the first day, the, the AC unit proved pretty much useless. And they Jeez. didn't have any AC in the trailer home where they're filming uh, this this film. So you have a you know a small a small budget, um, not that much time to shoot. Uh, people aren't living a lavish lifestyle, and everybody has to be perfect. And then the final thing is you know because they didn't have such a wide reach, they only had ninety people as far as like the cast to get these kids. It was a miracle of the kids that they got because they only got ninety um, audition tapes. To find these two children um, to 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 be in this film, so mm. I guess it, all in all, it makes me think about you know with the Oscars this year, just the uneven uneven playing field um, of scripts and the whole production process that make it into the circuit. So like one film where this they're filming nine scenes in a day is going up against a film like Mank, where David Fincher is notorious for filming things over <laughs> and over again where he filmed one scene over five days because they have the money and budget and time to do it. And they would do, they did one take. I think Amanda Seyfried said that one scene they filmed over 200 times. So oh my gosh. yeah, how difficult that must be to have such a little time and such a shoestring budget. And I'm sure, I'm sure with that, you have to have a lot of trust in your cast and your crew. I mean, they were also editing while they were filming. And you have to have a very clear vision for what you want to accomplish. Maybe you can shed some light on that. I know you're probably going to be going into that process here, hopefully soon, right? When yeah. Hearing that, like this is a, hearing that and seeing the movie that we got from knowing like 
how quickly they had to film certain things that like we're definitely sitting in the presence of, of a mass a master craftsman you know like i said like i said before there's no doubt this film is a an extremely well-made film well-structured well-storied well-acted you know um we're definitely sitting in the presence of a master craftsman which is like like i said like this is there's no doubt this is a well-made beautiful beautifully crafted film um it's funny when you said nine scenes in one day that is insane like without like, ac without, without AC. ac i mean like that because like man like every single time you see like a cut and that that's them moving the camera and having to re relight everything and like you know, getting the actors ready to, to act. Like there's so much that goes into that, guys. It's fascinating if that's something that's interesting to you. Definitely look up the process there. But um, yeah, it, it makes me feel like what you shared, Dave, makes you feel a lot more impressed about the production as a whole. It's crazy hearing about that struggle, honestly, because I feel like that's, it's so fitting for this film. You know, when you think about the story, when you think about their struggle of trying to even the dad's struggle of, of trying to develop something from nothing, right? Try to be a farmer. Think about this really tight budget. Um, nothing's going according to plan. They're losing AC. I'm sure that, that added a lot to the dynamic and a lot of, uh, added a lot to the performances, you know, because most of this movie, there is so much frustration, right? There's, there's so much turmoil within the family. And so I can imagine all these different things that are happening off screen are kind of adding to, uh, to the mix here. And I think it's also really cool that you noted that, um, that they all stay in the same Airbnb. I could imagine like what that must've done to help boost their family dynamic as well. Um, so I, I love great facts, Dave. That's awesome. Yeah, and we just need to get music. Where it's exactly. Like, fun, fun facts, facts with Dave. With Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our next segment is this is typically going to be where we turn it over to our film buff and our TV buff. So that's Alex and and Shante. Shante loves TV um, and definitely connects with TV a lot more easily than film. Uh, although this podcast has helped her to stretch her in that. Alex is somebody who connects a lot more easily with film than with TV, although, again, this podcast has helped to stretch him in that. So typically, this section will be like, uh, our, will be to answer the question of what is the best way to tell this story? Is it via a feature film or via a, you know, a, a TV show, right? And whether it's a limited series or, or you know, an ex extended TV show or whatnot, right? So Alex will be talking about you know, the film side of things and Shantae will be talking about the TV side of things. Now, if you listen to our episode zero or to our trailer, then you'll know that David also loves TV. So in the, uh, the in light of Shantae not being with us today, uh, David will be taking uh, on her role, feeling, trying his best to fill in the shoes that he will definitely fall short of because Shantae's the best, uh, but his, of, of arguing uh, whether or not uh, Minari can best be told as a film or a TV show so my first question is to you alex all right is a feature film the best way to tell this story 100 yes um i definitely believe so you, you know since shantae's not here i'm gonna have to put this uh this you know question on my back and totally carry the team here um and try to answer this question you know i definitely believe you know when you're when you're thinking about will this will this movie be better in a tv format you have to think all right what does this story have to gain by uh extending the the time out or uh cutting it up into episodes or you know uh, extending out the story 
I honestly believe that this movie wouldn't have much to gain from doing something like that. If anything, I think that this story would lose uh, certain certain elements. I think that um, I, I believe that if the story was extended any further, if we spent um, a, a little too much time with with the family or the 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 beats that the story hits was extended out, I think that it honestly would drag a little bit. I think the story would kind of lose attention, lose uh, lose its audience. Um, and so I, I believe that the feature length film um, story that we have, it was so compact. It was such a perfect um, uh, beat by beat story. It, it, it totally stuck to the classic uh, story, you know, um, uh, model of, you know, when the climax hits and then, you know, it descends down. I thought that the climax was perfectly timed. I felt immersed in the story. I, I can't believe that. Uh, I, I don't believe that I'd be able to say the exact same if it were in a TV show. Um, and, and so I think even if it were in a TV show format, I think um, like, it, you know, I'm thinking about like, if this were like a one season, a mini series on Netflix, I think that it would not gain as much attention and not that many people would go out to see this. Um, so I'm really glad that this was a feature length that they decided to make it a feature length film because it gained so much traction and so many more people are going to be able to see this on the big screen than versus, you know, streaming it on Netflix, streaming this mini series on Netflix. So those are kind of my initial thoughts to this question. I, I definitely believe that it was a perfectly compact feature film and I could not see it being a mini series or an extended, you know, uh, series with multiple seasons and multiple episodes. This was uh, this was a perfect feature length film. Yeah, Alex. And you know, it's funny, Dave, I, I'm just going to be quite honest with you. This, this, this particular film, I think it's it's a lot harder to like argue mm -hmm. that it, it's better told as a TV show. Like some of the other Oscar films, like Judas and the Black Messiah could be a great like 10 episode miniseries or eight episode miniseries. Promising Young Woman could be a great like miniseries. Like, like you know, like um, yeah, Promising Young Woman could be a great miniseries. I feel like this film is perfectly told as a film. However, if we did try to tell this as a TV show or try to tell the story through a TV show format, Dave, how could we do this? I think first you would need uh, Richard Linklater. <laughs> I think that's a, maybe a good starting point um, for those that don't know. So he's like, um, I guess, notorious for going years down the line and following characters. So Boyhood is a really big film. So I think if we're looking at this from the perspective of the sun, um, if the sun is how like we're seeing um, the Asian and this particular family's Asian American experience, maybe doing a coming of age story from him as a kid growing up in Arkansas, kind of like the filmmaker. The filmmaker is from Arkansas. That's the story is semi autobiographical. Wait, how do you say that? It's semi. It's a semi autobiographical. Semi autobiographical. Yes. But <laughs> semi-autobiographical I got it okay so I think if this was a coming of age story and I think because it's told like from the like the, the kids uh Alan Kim who plays David's perspective which is very similar to the filmmaker um, Isaac Chung who also grew up in Arkansas on a farm so I think maybe if they did it that way um from like a semi-autobiographical standpoint the Richard Linklater method, I think then maybe it could work. You could just see and just cast different actors as he gets older to see how their experience has changed or, you know, if, um, I guess, any obstacles that they found along the way. He is the first generation, um, like, 
native born American, I believe his family is not from the United States. So I think that would be cool, right, to see how he navigates life, um, at least maybe from a kid to young adulthood. Um, that could be cool to see that. But I agree for the purpose of this story and what it accomplished. Yes, it should be a film. But this is me playing devil's advocate and trying to think of if there could be another story to be told, how could they do it in TV format? How'd yeah, oh, wow, Dave, that, 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 that was fantastic. I mean, like, I, I, I actually would like the way that you described that, like, I would actually tune into that TV series if, if they, if they were like follow the child as he grows up and like each episode was like, at different points in his life right like that i mean it would it would technically you could you would tell you could tell the story in a tv format by adding to the story uh from elements that are not necessarily like seen in the film itself right like you know you could probably flesh out some of the parents backstory or something like that in like uh, an initial episode or like or there could be episode like you start with like the family and the next episode is a flashback to the meeting and then like you know or all these different there's, there's, there's ways to work with oh, it isaac chung if you're listening yeah exactly exactly <laughs> if like, you're listening I'm, I'm i'm here and i can uh i don't know how yes. i'd be helpful but there's the idea so story idea yeah, <laughs> yeah. So again, like one of our calling cards as a podcast is, um, you know, we, we want to get deep. We, we want to look at the social uh, impact of the things that we're watching. And so that's what this segment, the one deep question is typically going to be about is how does this, how does something we're watching tie into society and culture as a whole? And so I wanted to kind of bring up this question again that I, that I introduced in my initial reactions at the top, right? You know, personally, I, I came into this film with expectations about what it was, about what it could potentially say as social commentary for, you know, Korean Americans in the rural South, what obstacles are they going to have to overcome that are uh, that obstacles that could potentially obviously be there, right? Like it's, you know, in a country that has a very checkered history with in, in the way that it has treated uh, Asian American immigrants to this country. I mean, like this goes way all the way back to like the 1800s with bans on, uh, you know, Chinese Americans from entering the country. Like there's, there's a lot. And, and in this particular moment, like we are, our country's reckoning with a, a rise of hate crimes directed against the Asian American Pacific Islander or AAPI com community, right? And so for me, I went to this film expecting there to be like this big statement about like this, about maybe about, about the obstacles that, you know, a Korean American family in Arkansas in the 1980s, like would could potentially be facing and, and how, what, what, what is there, was there any bigotry that they might've experienced that could have like, you know, that could have been highlighted to, um, that, that could have been used to highlight that experience or whatnot, or to make a statement against like hatred or that to humanize them. For me, I felt like this was a missed opportunity with the film. And so I wanted to turn it to you guys to ask like, does Minari miss out on an opportunity for, so for larger social commentary by 
choosing to focus more on the family and their dynamic than focusing on them as Koreans within like as Koreans in pursuit of the American dream in the rural South. I don't believe so. Um, I, I don't believe that this movie missed out on on the opportunity to, uh, to, to to kind of highlight the larger social commentary. I believe, you know, when you talk about bigotry, it seems like the honestly the the son um, uh, David he actually is the bigot. You know, when you think about the story, when you actually kind of like uh, see his interactions with the grandmother. You know, when I was watching this film, the grandmother for me um, embodied the the immigrant the quote-unquote immigrant right and so she comes into the family and immediately david is resentful right he's like you don't speak our language uh you don't bake cookies like what what is your worth right like you're not you're not a real grandmother um what do you do right you speak this weird language you smell weird uh you're an outsider right and so really the bigotry kind of comes from the son who is projecting this american lifestyle um, uh, this, yeah, this Asian American lifestyle onto his grandmother and kind of casting her away and casting her out because of it, you know, and, 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 and that's why I believe that like, you do get a lot of subtle hints, not a lot, you do get some subtle hints of it, of, uh, racism, of bigotry, um, especially like when they go to the, uh, to the church and to the all white church and you have like the famous, the, the little boy who like turns around and is looking at them really weird. He's like staring at them. And, um, and uh, or just the different interactions that the kids had with the uh, with the children, um, with like uh, making like the eye gesture, like making fun of their names, kind of stuff like that. So you do kind of get you know subtle moments like that. Um, but I don't believe that this story kind of pulled back any punches because I believe it told a really profound and beautiful story about immigration and how we accept people based off of uh, not their 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 self worth but who they are. And, and I guess to kind of talk a little bit more about that too, like, so that, that one commentary kind of resonated with me with like the grandmother's interaction with the son. And that I think was like the, the main pillar of this story for me was seeing that mm -hmm. the second one for me was the father struggling with his self-worth, right. With, uh, and, and the scene that really got me was when he was, um, talking about the boy chicks when they're separating out the, the, the males from the females and he pulls his son aside and he's like, us as men, we need to produce, right. Uh, otherwise like, you know, we're, we're no good. We're not useful. Right. And so I think that this story is also a lot about like where you drive your self-worth from like is it from what you produce or is it from who you are and and i think that um is also told in the grandmother as well you know especially after she has her stroke and she becomes quote unquote like useless right but she uh but as she's like after the house burn or the uh farm um house burns down the grandmother's running away right but they want her they need her they need her in the family and, and so even though she is quote unquote useless, she can't produce anything. She is the center of that family and they need her and they want her there. Um, so I, I kind of had a sideways way of kind of answering your question, but, but I just kind of want to touch on those are the things that kind of like really resonated with me on the social commentary. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to hear Dave's thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, real quick, Alex, I really appreciate that because I, I don't think, so 
yeah, a lot of the things that you said really resonated and connected with me. I, I think definitely there's a theme of like men are only useful based on like men men are determined like their value is determined by what are they producing. And I think that's that's that exact thing is going to come up in our final segment, you know, from from my, you know, one of my comments there. But like um, you know, it's funny like I want to clarify my comment because as 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 a black person, right? Like I am tired of seeing slave movies, right? I'm tired of seeing like I don't go to the movie. I I only saw Judas and the Black Messiah this uh, this time around because of the podcast, essentially. Like movies where you know a black leader is is gunned down because of racism, or you know uh, a, a normal black man is gunned down because of racism. I'm talking about Freefield Station, for example, or Twelve Years a Slave, or you know, I have, I still haven't seen 12 Years a Slave because I'm just like, I, I know that story. That story is like deeply ingrained within me. And so I want to be, I want to be clear here that I'm not like, for me, it's like, I, I am not asking for this film to show the, this Korean family suffering for be, because they are Korean. Um, but I, I do think that like, because this is, and this is an experience that has not been shared much we, we have not seen this on such a wide stage as like you know the the, the theater as as like the the oscar buzz that has really pushed this this movie forward to the state like forward to a, a broad a broader stage for people to see and so this is not an experience that people within our country are familiar with and so i think that like to you know especially being someone from arkansas right like it's weird, like the 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 specter of racism always hung over me wherever I was. Even though it's funny, I didn't really I didn't really experience much of like the heavy racism stuff, at least to my at least to the point where I could like recognize it until I actually moved to Boston. Right. So that's when I first started like experiencing that for myself. But like that specter was always kind of there. And I think that looking back on, it, I can see how that impacted black people, for example, within that space. I'm wondering if like, does it need that to have the impact of at least humanizing this experience of presenting the, the, the experience of Korean Americans more you know, broadly Asian Americans within this country, like especially at a, especially at a time like now, like, do, do we need to see them, like, hit a roadblock because they are Korean, not because they are just like, you know, poor farmers, which is an experience that Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whoever, like, you, that, that is something you'd experience. But do we need to see them face a roadblock because they are Korean? Do we need to see, like, beyond just like a child teasing a kid in a church service, like, the, the impact of that this kind of like this this bigoted and, off, and oftentimes exclusive culture, right? Um, in order for in order for that to really sink home for us, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that's a fantastic question. Um, yeah, you know, I I would say yes. I think that like we do need to see that represented on screen. I just don't know if that needs to be a crown that this movie has to wear. You know, like I think that this story 
tells a beautiful tale and a very eye-opening tale um, of the struggle for the American dream. And I think it's very connecting for immigrants, for people who are um, not of like quote unquote white descent or not, you know, born in the United States. I think that it is a really resonating film and resonating story for that. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think you bring up a really good question. I think that we do need to see that on screen. We do need to see, uh, I think that this film, it's a really tough question to answer. I, I think that this film wouldn't necessarily gain anything or lose anything from having a roadblock like that. You know, like thinking about if they were to have a scene of where the dad is trying to sell his produce, uh, for example, you know, to like a white, uh, a white owned business, you know, market or something like that. And he gets turned away and made fun of or cast aside because he's producing these like Korean fruits or something like that. You know, like I, I think that maybe this film could have gained something from something like that, but, um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a great question. I, so I personally don't think that it needs it. I think that, I think it goes back to also just what you said way back a few minutes ago, Anselm, about you're tired of seeing films that talk about the um, slave experience or how, you know, people, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is how minorities are portrayed in film. I'm conditioned, if I'm going to be honest, when I saw them going to a, a predominantly white area and then they're all sitting in this white church, I assume, I like, I'm like thinking the worst. I'm like, okay, someone's house is about to be burnt to the ground because of uh, white people, right? Or, you know, there's going to be um, some sort of violence as a result of racism and this family is going to face it. But I think that's not what that's not what every I think I think that's that's not what they want to have <laughs> they don't want people to be conditioned with that way every single time right there are a lot of great stories to be told that talk about you know what it means to be human which is what this is trying to do and experience joy like what we saw with crazy rich Asians and what it means to have um, you know be how important family is which is what you see in crazy rich Asians the farewell and this film so I think that we don't need every time to have a predominantly minority cast being transplanted uh, into a white area automatically um, start to see and immediately start to see oppression and violence as a result of racism. Because I think that there have been so many of those already and it's important to highlight um, just the vast experiences. I mean, like I said, this is a semi-autobiographical film from Isaac Chung um, sort of telling these stories from memories that he had and it right. seems like his experiences aren't that so I think he's right. trying to touch on exactly, right yeah. so I think he's trying to he's trying to touch on some of the other themes that we've already talked about so I, I yeah. liked what Alex said that this doesn't have to be like Minari doesn't have to have the crown to like bear all of that um, just because it has a predominantly Asian cast in it right it's funny because like i think it's like it's it's interesting because like dave you, you mentioned and and it's yeah i felt the same exact way when they were going to the white church i was like oh my god oh no like but what's funny is that like i'm to be honest like when i my family was the black family at the white church when we we first moved to arkansas there was a church like right next to the uh, uh, apartment complex where we were living and we just went walked in there one day and i mean <laughs> I, let me tell you i immediately saw like in like a uh 
you know, sanctuary full of white people. And we're the one black family. And I was like, oh my God, we have to get out of here. But they were like, we, we wound up staying at their church pretty much the entire time that we were living there, like uh, that we lived in Arkansas. Right. So it's, it's, so I, I, it's funny that you say that day because that, that immediately like connected to me there. And may, maybe there's just something different about Arkansas, you know, maybe just Arkansas is just like, you know, people are more accepting there. Right. Just and kidding. It, no, it, but uh, I mean, even like the <laughs> instances of like, maybe like racism that you see from the kids i don't really know if much of it is racism as it was just like just, ignorance yeah, just and curiosity kids. right yeah. it's like curiosity and that didn't bother they, me like, too much like, yeah like the kids become friends like best friends immediately right. after that scene right and they you don't see a scene where like the father of the the white kid is like sitting at the table he doesn't say something that's racist he like respects um his father as a farmer right and yeah like yeah. i'm like I, he was sitting there i'm like what's he gonna say what's he gonna say oh my gosh kid? same same here which but, is funny to be like to say it, so so the best thing to me dave is that like is it realistic is that realistic though right like it's funny i don't know the i honestly don't know the answer to that because I, I think that you saying that like and i felt it alex i'm sure you felt it too like uh-oh like especially especially when Will Patton's character, I forgot his name in, in the movie, but I always I always think of him as 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 a coach Yost from uh Remember the Titans. <laughs> but when his character, the kind of like charismatic, weird, like you know, woo guy was around, I was like, oh no, like what's gonna happen? And he turned out to be like their the the family's friend. He works on the farm with them. But like there are so many moments of that where I was like, this could turn into something really bad. And I'm wondering if it's because like that is the realistic thing to happen, or if that's just because I've, as you said, Dave, I've been so conditioned to, to feel that way. And the the honest to goodness truth to that is after hearing this conversation so far, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm just like expecting that because of like what the moment that we're in now or if, if that's just the way it's if, if that's like what's realistic there but I, I think that might may be the point of 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 choosing to have that story be told in this particular way so I don't know guys you're you're as we're talking about this you're helping me to see this film in a different way a few days after I initially saw it right I think I, I think I want to give it another watch I'm I'm a, I'm a lot more positive on this film than I was coming into this discussion. So uh, there you go. Before you send me all your hate mail, know that I, I my, my mind has been changed somewhat. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna go to our, our our final segment here, and it's and we're calling this segment "What is the most Minati scene in the film Minati?" Right, and so what I mean by that is if you could choose one scene that is the most like that embodies the essence like the 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 spirit of the film the most what would that scene be okay so i'm gonna let you all go first because I, I i'm still narrowing down my list of three scenes <laughs> and i'll choose wh whichever one you guys do not choose if you if you know you choose something different so yeah well i have two but i'll, I'll only say one just because um for time so i think I think the the scene that I loved the most um, was the scene where um, Alan Kim and Stephen Young are trying to find the the well, uh, the natural well for the water um, when they start farming because you can't have a farm without having water supply. So you can in this situation you have two options: you can either pay to have a well drilled for you, but that's really expensive, or 
you can use your brain as as he says and um you can drill the well yourself and i think just what i really loved about that film or about that scene in the film is just how joyful how joyful it was it was such a really beautiful moment especially when they finally hit the water and then they're like screaming like they're uh like in, um they're, yeah, they're just screaming back and forth to one another in celebration. And I think that there's just a lot here about just the dynamic of family and being able to share that joy and that love with, um, with each other. And just also like the, what you can learn from um, your parents or guardians um, is just, yeah, it's very important. I've learned a lot from my parents. My parents have taught me uh, just a whole bunch of things that I can carry throughout life. And I know that that's like a moment, whether that guy, whether that kid ends up being an Arkansas farmer or not, he's gonna remember that scene or like that moment that he shared with his father um, for the rest of his life. So I think that just if thinking about a movie that really talks about the experience of family and um, togetherness and love that was just a scene that really resonated with me and that I'll that I'll take uh from this film is the the screaming of joy back and forth to one another when they hit the hit the well the well water nice uh Alex what about you what's what's your most Minati scene in Minati man this is a great question um I had a kind of a hard time narrowing it down, but I'm going to have to go with the climax of the film for me. Um, so I, I know that we all know the scene. Uh, so the grandmother is, is out uh, burning. Um, uh, sorry, what is she burning again? Burning trash. I think she's just she's burning, burning trash. trash. Yeah, right, that, correct. That they, uh, they burn their trash on the farm. Correct, right. So she's out there burning trash um, and then the fire escapes her and it, it starts to combust the uh the the farmhouse where they have all the produce where the father has all of his produce that he's been able to um stock up and he is planning on selling um is now under fire right and so they come home they see the sm the family sees the smoke and they come home and immediately the father rushes in and he's trying to save his produce right he's trying to save what he has produced um because that's where he has put his value. His self-worth is, is in this produce. Meanwhile, the, the mom, the wife is honestly about to walk away from him and about to walk away from his dream of being a farmer until that moment where she sees him rush into the building, she decides to rush in and join him and support him and be there with him uh, during this crazy, crazy traumatic experience where they're trying to get this produce and save it, right? And so there she is sacrificing her wants, her needs, her desires to support her husband um, who, who she truly loves, right? And, and then um, she gets lost in the fire. And so then the husband has to choose, do I save my wife or do I save my produce, right? And of course he makes the right decision. He's like, I'm going to save my wife. And sacrificing his produce, his self-worth, what he has put his value in, right? I'm getting like teary-eyed thinking about this scene again. It was, and meanwhile, you have the grandmother who accidentally started the fire is leaving. She's running away. She's running down the street um, because she is so distraught at what she's done. She cannot face 
the fact of what she's done. And yet the children chase her down, right? And up until that moment, the children didn't want anything to do with her. Didn't want anything to do with the grandmother. They were butting heads the whole time. Um, and, and yet at that moment, they're like, we need her. Where is she? We, we want to make sure she's okay. We need her here with our family, right? Yeah. So I think this scene just fully embodied all of their character arcs taking turns in, in such a remarkable and beautiful way of showing the love, the importance of family, the importance of trust and supporting one another and, um, you know, being what a family really is, you know, together and, and being in unison. And, and I think that this scene fully embodied that for me. And, and that is uh, just so the listeners know, I was bawling my eyes out during that scene. And if you were to, please write in and address me and maybe we can cry together. Who knows? But that scene just brought me to tears. And um, that is my most Minati scene. Man, that great explanation. Alex. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm and, like, that's my favorite scene now. <laughs> yeah. And, and this was like, I, I feel completely different about this movie now. Just like, going like hearing hearing you describe hearing both of you describe this movie to me like at, at least respond to the questions i presented describe your experience in the movie i'm like wow like this it's making me look back and like yeah that is true and that is something i did i experienced and so yeah i pre that, that, that that's a great scene and, and all the more you know beautiful because the the, the little boy david runs to get his grandmother and the entire movie they're telling him not to run because he has a heart murmur like that like that now didn't that even, i did I didn't notice even think of, when i didn't saw even that think of that excellent addition you're absolutely right like and so that that oh my gosh that scene that was incredible that was incredible um man oh, i don't i don't know how to nice follow pick it up. up nice pickup Anselm. um so yeah, so my most Minari scene from the film Minari is actually, it's after, it's during the hospital visit. And so as we, as I've mentioned here, David, the little boy has a heart murmur. And so they take a trip to the doctors in order to learn um, how, the, how the, the heart murmur is being handled. So there's like a little hole, I think, in his valve that essentially keeps the the blood from from pumping properly and when they go to the doctor they get they actually get you know some they're, they're waiting for the news actually they're waiting for the news and while they're waiting for the news the kids are playing around in the, in the hallway and uh jacob and monica who are the mother and the father are kind of sitting there and, and just talking and you know they are kind of in the middle of deciding whether or not uh, Monica will take the children and kind of leave and go back to California because at this point they've put a lot of money into the farm and it doesn't seem like it's producing you know the the kind of the 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 revenue they were hoping for so they're having that conversation and essentially Monica is telling Jacob like you can leave with us like you don't have to stay we like we, we can go together and Jacob says what I feel like is like the the heart of at least his arc and, and, and the, the whole reason why he comes out here to begin with is he says to he says like i i need to see this all the way through 
like even if I fail I need to see this all the way through and even prior to that he's like the kids need to see me succeed at something that line right there almost broke me because man like that 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 right there is the immigrant experience in many ways it's like you know we've come to this country and they they talk about that too they talk about how like oh life is really hard in Korea. So we're going to go to America so we can save one another is what, is what uh, Jacob says. And yet we've come here and it's just been struggle, struggle, struggle. So it's like, we've come here to succeed and to show this, this, this successful life, this American dream to our kids. And yet what it's been has been, it's seemingly just one kind of dead end job after the other or one business venture that falls through after the other. And here we are, we come to this farm. There's nothing more American than starting your own farm and raising your own produce and selling that. And it's like, I need to, I need, oftentimes at the expense of the family, I need to do this so that the family can see me succeeding. And I think for me, that was like, that summed up this whole point the whole like the whole point of this film and I think flows really beautifully into your uh favorite scene or into your most minati scene Alex uh of like in the end like when 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 the fire is burning like is it is it your dream or the or the other thing you actually have your family that that matters the most and so I think that like that's why that was my most minati scene uh in the film so yeah Guys, I'm like I'm like tearing up over here. We 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 have to uh, we gotta close this down. <laughs> Dude, me too. We gotta shut this down, man. I'm like I'm really starting to tear up, and I really love what you shared in some too. I, that scene, uh, that really got me. Really resonated with me a lot. And I think it is, I I think it's a chip that not just immigrants, but I think uh, men in yeah. general yeah. Uh, really really feel is that I need to produce something. Uh, that's where my 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 worth is found in. And I, I think it's something that I even struggle with a lot is, is uh, separating my self-worth from what I produce. And um, yeah, I, I think that it was just so well captured in this movie, so well captured in the story and uh, absolutely beautiful. So thanks for sharing that scene. Yeah, no problem. Well, hey, everyone, this has been our episode on Minaria. Hopefully after listening to us talk about this, listening to me kind of be converted to the, uh, the, the kind of the, the praise camp of this film, um, you know, hopefully you've heard enough to go out and see this film. That's been Minari. This has been Too Much Screen Time. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Too Much Screen Time. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at tmscreentime or email us at tmscreentime at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. So in the meantime, keep watching those screens.